0: This message is from Icon, from community, Icon church. community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro Atlanta. and to grace, community, and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org, at iconcommunitychurch.org. or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, a Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Know thyself. It's a phrase that we have heard probably most of our lives. It's made popular by Socrates, but was a a phrase known in ancient Greece uh, as an axiom that would help you grow as a person. Uh, What it means to to mature through life uh, is contingent upon the degree to which you know yourself. That's always been something that we have heralded, something that we uh, hold really highly. Many times, whenever we are going through difficult periods or we're dealing with any form of persecution, anger, sadness, anxiety, uh, in today's culture, we are encouraged to know ourselves, right? Self-knowledge, being aware of who you are, being aware of how you're made, a word that we love to use, being aware of our wiring, being aware of, of who God made us. And so, uh, self knowledge, self help, self love, self acceptance, these are all themes that are brought up frequently in movies, music, and memes. And a healthy version of these is very helpful. A healthy version of any one of these or all of these, very helpful, very insightful. But far too often, our version of these aren't very healthy at all. To know ourselves oftentimes is to tell ourselves things about ourselves that just make us feel better. Many times our feeling, uh, our feeling better means overlooking things that should actually change or just shouldn't be there at all. So if I want to uh, feel better about myself, the best way to do that is to overlook the things that might be hurtful or overlook the things that may even be reprehensible. I overlook those things because to take full account of them means I've got to deal with that emotionally and I choose not to. I refuse to do so. So what happens? That version of of knowing ourselves uh, morphs into lying to ourselves. In many ways, self-knowledge just becomes a form of self-deception. So we've got to figure out in a healthy way what that looks like, right? Because so many of us, we believe, we, uh, uh, we're walking in self-knowledge and yet we're walking in self-deception. And this is because knowing ourselves should be undergirded by a desire to know God and a desire to look, live, and love like God. Everything should have an object, right? Having knowledge about anything is most helpful when there's an objective to the knowledge. It's not enough to just know something just so that you can know something. For, for, for many of us, or at different times in our lives, knowledge serves as really helpful if you were to be on Jeopardy. Those of you who know me, I love a lot of fast facts and useless information. Uh, I, that stuff's interesting. It's fun. But the, obje- the objective to real knowledge should be Uh, How does not only me knowing myself, how does that help me? But that knowledge should be more than just informative, should be more than just performative. It should be transformative. The more I know about me, the things that need to change, I'm aware of the things that are good. I'm aware of. So I don't get what the scripture says, not to think too highly or too lowly of ourselves. I can do that. I can figure out the smart, maybe the more helpful, the wise approach to knowing myself and knowing God. But instead, we often deceive ourselves. We call it knowledge, but we deceive ourselves. Why? Why would we ever be inclined to deceive ourselves? Why would we not take full account, full inventory of who we actually are, good, bad, and otherwise? What makes us do this? What makes us deceive ourselves? Well, <clears throat> the first thing is, it's comfortable. If I deceive myself, I don't have to face the hard truths about myself. I can run from them. I can avoid them. I can uh, mask them. I can reorient them to look like something else. Another reason why we deceive ourselves is because it's convenient. I can keep doing the same thing without ever having to change. Another reason is it just makes me feel better about myself. It preserves my self-esteem. Again, that's the danger. If your self anything is not rooted in knowing God and wanting to look, love, and live like him, you're gonna deceive yourself eventually. If I want to feel better about myself, what am I feeling better about? Am I feeling better about the things in me that reflect attributes of him? That's good, that's that's healthy esteem. Anything else will easily lead to self-deception. And the fourth reason why we deceive ourselves. The reason why I deceive myself is it helps me avoid self-responsibility for my actions. I don't have to take any real responsibility for anything if I can just avoid the the things that cause real problems. If If I do something that causes pain in you, if I say something that causes pain in you, it's super easy for me to just avoid that by just not even acknowledging those things are even in me. I don't have to see it. I can overlook it. I've built all these excuses why you might think they're there, but I know exactly what it really is. This is, this, is uh, this is a part of the human condition. This is a part of who we are. This is the inner struggle that we all have. Examples of this in our lives. There's any, any number of examples. Uh, relationally, you have a man that's in a relationship with a woman who believes this is his soulmate, and he, he's in love with her, and he wants to spend his life with her, and he continues to believe that the woman loves him, even after she's repeatedly told him she wants to break up. Self-deception. A student preparing for a college exam finds himself frequently procrastinating, keeps telling himself that he's not in the mood to study. He takes a test, and he fails. In reality, he was procrastinating. Why? Because he was scared of the pressure that comes with studying, or the pressure that comes with getting good grades or bad grades. Or how about this? This will hit close to home for some of us. Someone joins a local church. They love hearing sermons about love, about grace, about compassion. But after all the church services happen, they they observe um, uh, fellow uh, Churchgoers possibly, that might be uh, judgmental, <laughs> might be racist, might be sexist, and they just turn a blind eye to the behavior of these people. She turns a blind eye, convincing herself that she then must be, by turning a blind eye, she must be on this right moral path. In many ways, we do this when we go into a sermon, we'll go sit into a church and honestly sit there and go, I'm more impressed by the sermon than I am transformed by the sermon. We deceive ourselves often because we don't really want to do. We don't want to change. We don't want. I, I'm most comfortable with knowing myself as long as I don't have to lift a finger to change anything. That's what self deception looks like. So, if this is how you view knowledge of self, James has something to say to us. As we've been going through the book of James, as we've been going through this series called Faith Works, we've been talking a lot about what it means for faith to not only inform, but transform you into the very person, the very image-bearing human that God created you to be? What does it mean for faith to reorient not only the things you do, but the reasons why you do them? What does it mean to be that fully more perfected version of the person that God created? As we talked about before, James is this uh, letter written from the half-brother of Jesus, the earliest church in Jerusalem. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. We've talked about how uh, Christians have been scattered all over. They're dealing with persecution, being in hiding. So many of them are poor, have lost resources, and they're scrambling, and they're trying to figure out what this new Christianity is supposed to look like. And they're waiting. Jesus is resurrected, and they don't know what's next. They're seeing people get thrown into prison. They're seeing people be killed. They're scrambling, figuring out what to do. And as we said, James is very practical. James deals with very practical issues. You're not going to get a lot of deep, waxing, eloquent theology, from even though there is some really good theology here. But this isn't like Paul and Romans and this treatise on faith and, and, and what it means to be justified. This is something very deep, very, very real, uh, very tactile, very practical. And James has already walked through. In, the, in chapter one, James is laying the, the background for the rest of the book that we're gonna go through. And so here now in James one, uh, verses 19 through 27, James is gonna talk a lot about what it means to, be, to truly not just know yourself, but to know God and let God be the mirror that you look into, that forces you, that brings about real change in you. He also points out what happens when we don't evaluate ourselves based on God's standard and not our own. So let's look at James uh, chapter one, verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. When you consider uh, what it means to follow God, when you consider what it means to be religious, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, how we view the word religion and religious. There, there's been some popular phrases we've thrown out about religion that I think James gives us a corrective for. But when you think about what it means to, to, be, uh, to follow God and to be uh, righteous, what comes to mind? What, what does it mean for you to say, hey, I follow God, I follow Jesus, Being a Christian, we hear this all the time. Being a Christian is my identity. My identity is in Christ. So I know myself, but I know myself because I know God. What does that mean? James is giving us some things here because he knows we confuse this often. We are prone to to redefine and falsely define what it means to know God and what it means to know ourselves. That's the reason why he starts this by saying, brothers and sisters, understand this. Why does he have to tell them this? Because we are prone not to understand this well. We are prone not to practice this well. And here's what he said. He doesn't say, hey, um, if you really want to get this right, here's some things that you need to be able to know and recite well. Here's Here's some good theology you need to have memorized well in order to do this. All those things are important. That's not where he goes. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's just stop there. He gives—he he gives in many ways. He gives you the—the—the—the uh, the, the, the what we need to be understanding. And then he tells you how what we should be doing. What should we be doing? Well, in any situation when there are issues, specifically when you find yourself in a situation where somebody says something with which you disagree, and that might even be too light. Of a a note on it. They may say something that genuinely offends you. They may say something that is wrong, or they may say something that's actually right, and it elicits a response because you don't like the fact that that thing is right, and it may make you upset. In either situation, whether they're right or wrong, how do you react? That says a lot more about what we know about God and what we should know about ourselves, not about what we know in our head, not about what we've done in the past. How are we prone to respond when things get tough? Whether it's consequences that we brought on ourselves, or maybe there's false things that are happening, or wicked things that are happening in either situation. How do you respond first? How do you react first? To put a finer point on it, There's a famous quote that's been attributed to a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a well known psychologist, an Austrian psychologist, who also was a Holocaust survivor. And one of the most famous phrases you see attributed to him in multiple places uh, uh, when he talks about how we react in these situations, uh, he puts it this way He says, uh, Between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose. Our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Now, what is he really saying here? We all live in the place, every one of us, every one of you, live in that place or at least exist at some point in that place between stimulus or stimuli and response. Something happens, that's the stimulus. How you react to it, that's the response. Where God grows you is in the middle. Well, Where God grows you is in that space. Who you truly are exists there. How you react just reflects who you truly are, but who you truly are exists there. Do you know yourself? Because James says that, Ultimately, if we're going to know ourselves while being undergirded by who God is and wanting to love live and, and 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 look like God, that means that our first reaction should not be to just speak first. Our reaction should not be to just react in anger first, slow to speak, quick to listen. I can't tell you how many arguments I've gotten into in my life where Even if I was right, and a lot of times I wasn't, and even if I was was right, I exacerbated the problem far more because I was so quick to want to retort, so quick to want to react. Well, let me give you another area where we're quick to speak. So often we're quick to speak and we've been slow to learn. So we speak out in our ignorance. That happens now. We're living in a time right now in the middle of our pandemic, of this pandemic, hitting everybody in the world. And when people see hard times and hard times have come, people are dealing with heaviness right now. And instead of stopping to learn and listen, we just react with whatever gut feeling or YouTube clip or anything that we just think just must make sense. So we just jump and speak without stopping, listening and learning. And people are dying because of it. People are dying because of it whether it's debates over vaccines and people choosing to do it or choosing not to do it and how the judgment happens as a result of that and the alleged science that people throw out to try to shame or not shame, this is not the way that a believer should be functioning. We should say truth and, f- and focus on truth. But if something happens or someone says something, the first reaction so often, I just want to say, I just want to speak. I just want to get something out. There's something dangerous about those of us. I think we've talked about this before. There are those who uh, love to throw out opinions, but don't want to be challenged uh, on those opinions. They just, I don't really, you'll see this a lot in social media. People will say, I haven't really looked into this much, but this is interesting. Check this out. Most dangerous thing you can do. If you're not willing to engage or you're not willing to sometimes the, a key phrase that I always pick up on this is, I'm going to throw this out there, but I don't want to argue. People who are willing to opine but not willing to argue or not willing to get into the, 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 the depths of an issue, those are people that can't be trusted. Because those are the people who are quick to speak and slow to listen. Those are the people that actually believe that they must just be right because they feel right but they haven't actually looked in the mirror to show them here are all the areas where you don't have it all together. We've gotta be so careful because what you do in the middle, right? The stimulus and the response, what you do there matters so much. It's so important that we get, Lord, what do I do when I'm in the middle of either being upset, being frustrated, being hurt, being scared. Maybe I see some information that might even be true, but it makes me feel unsettled. It makes me feel anxious. So I have to react really quickly to to assuage my own anxiety, but I might be wrong. Let's just stop and wait, listen, learn, look. He says then, right after after James kind of makes that point, he says, okay, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Then he says, why? He doesn't just give you the what and the how. He gives you why. Why should we do this? It's not enough to just brag about, I just, you know, I, I try to just not say anything because I don't want to cause any arguments. That's not the answer either. Sometimes speaking truth boldly is exactly what you should do. The reason why you need to be slow to speak and I'm sorry, yes, yeah, slow to speak and quick to listen is because, because ultimately, and slow to anger, is because anger, human anger, doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. What does that tell us? The purpose of what we do in that that middle place between stimulus and response, the purpose of us spending time there is to ensure that our motives are rooted in God's righteousness and not our rightness. If the main goal is just to be right or to feel right, can guarantee you God's righteousness isn't there. Even if you happen to be right, guarantee you that on on a heart level, that is not at all what's happening. Because the goal should be, accomplishing God's righteousness. So hear me again. Speaking isn't bad. Anger isn't bad per se, right? Bible says be angry, but don't sin. But human anger, that's an anger that's just purely rooted in ourselves, not in the things God's angry with. If we're angry about things God's angry about, that is righteous. If I'm angry just because I'm angry, or I'm angry because of things that aren't rooted in attributes of God, That's where the question comes. What do we do in between stimulus and response? What are the reasons why might I be quick to speak and slow to listen? Well, I'll tell you another thing that happens in that middle place. Sometimes that middle place is very short. There have been times in my life where that middle place is minuscule and less times in my life where they've been really, really long. What's another reason why we struggle with just kind of Holding on and waiting and, and, and kind of evaluating before we respond. Well, a lot of times, because we overestimate our intentions far more than the impacts of our actions. What does that mean? It means that uh, I can say something quickly, might even hurt you, could be false. I still don't want to deal with the fact that they've hurt you or that they were false. So I just start with, you don't understand, but my intentions were This. My intentions were that. I'm going to go back again to social media. So often people are sharing articles and videos that are not rooted in anything actual scientific on, the, on this issue. And yet that becomes the thing. And when somebody points out, this is just one example, but somebody points out, hey, this is false and here's why. Here's peer-reviewed articles to show here, that this is actually false. Well, but my intentions were to just inform people and make sure that they were good. I just wanted to make sure that people are okay. Or maybe a a completely different issue. I said this to you and I hurt you and you're hurt by it. And you come to me and say, that thing that you said was really hurtful. That thing that you said really disrupted so much for me. And my response is, well, I didn't intend for that to happen. So if it hurt you, I'm sorry, but I didn't intend for that to happen. What am I doing? I'm indexing my intentions more highly than the disastrous impacts. But if I'm slow to speak and quick to listen, the quick to listen piece isn't just hearing and waiting for uh, air to traverse your vocal cords out of your body and then make it into my auditory canal so that I can firmly say that the words made it. That's not listening. That's just physical hearing. But listening is, let me listen to the words and listen to your heart so that I can realize what's actually happening as a result. Let me comprehend what is happening as a result of these actions. If I'm comprehending with God's heart, saying I genuinely want to see wholeness and I genuinely want to see righteousness, I'm going to have to stop and ponder on that for a while because a lot of times I'm not going to see that right away. And so hiding behind that isn't enough. Another thing we hide hide behind so that we don't have to dig into ourselves and really know ourselves is something we said earlier. We say, well, listen, I'm sorry that you were hurt by that, but you got to know this is just who I am. You got to know, like my mom and daddy raised somebody with a mouth. That's just what I say. This is just who I am. I'm loose. I'm off the cuff. You got to understand I'm from this part of the country. This is how we talk. You know, I come from a family where this is just how we, we would dice each other up. And you just got to be, if you can't, if you can't handle the heat, you just got to get out the kitchen because that's just who we are. See, that's actual self-worship. That's more than just self-knowledge. That's self-knowledge without any degree of repentance, which equals self-worship. I'm like, I know this is me. I don't feel bad about it at all. That's the difference, by the way, between a person who is really repentant versus just acknowledging. Acknowledgement different from repentance. It's easy to be like, yeah, you know, you're right. I, that's me. That's who I am. I, I, I accept that. People will say that. Or they'll even say, and I take responsibility for that. No, they're not. They're just acknowledging it. Acknowledging it isn't showing genuine responsibility and accountability for it, right? Because if you're taking accountability for something that's wrong, you start doing the work to repair it. But if you don't do the work to repair it, then all you've done is acknowledged. Your acknowledgement does nothing for me, and my acknowledgement does nothing for you if I don't do the work to actually repair. But what moves me to a desire to repair? Being slow to speak and quick to listen so that I can stop and comprehend and connect that to the heart and the righteousness of God. James is making this point, and think about contextually why this is so important. You've got people scattered all over Jerusalem, and they know Jesus, but they're also very human. So they still have whatever beefs they had before. They still have whatever issues that are there. You still have some that are in a different socioeconomic stratus than another. You've got people who are desperately in need, who aren't being cared for. You've got people who are making excuses for why they don't need to care about some folks. You've got people who are saying things that are very harmful to some folks. And you've got people who feel justified in doing so. They're just like us. So if you are going, if we're going to uh, understand what it means to follow God and not be deceived, self-deceived, then we need to do what he just said. Understand this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because human anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, what does he say? Ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He's going back again. The truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, what it means to, to, to understand truly who we are in God's eyes and why we needed to be redeemed. Again, going back to what we said, when you're a person that's just like, this is just who I am, you basically are saying, I'm a person that is not in need of redemption. I'm already good. If you see yourself properly and you realize there's some really great things here, there's also some things desperately in need of redemption, then you immediately are humble when things are brought to your attention. You don't just go up, that's just me. But if you, that's what it looks like to have truly not received the implanted word. God's word, his heart is truly not in yours and truly not in mine. And then he qualifies and he starts to explain and maybe maybe give us more clarity on what this means. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. See, this is the deception. Because one of the ways that I can mask maybe some things that aren't true of my heart, I can mask it well by just doing a bunch of good things, even though the goodness isn't really true of my heart. I can mask that by just do, by, I'm sorry, I I can hear things and not do. It's the opposite. I can easily be like, you know what? I, I heard that and that's what it is. And I can easily tell folks, man, that was a really good point. That was a really good thing. Or I read this thing the other day. It really made me think. All of that stuff's good. Contemplation is good. Spending time alone and focusing on things is vitally important. We don't do enough of that. Finding time of real solitude and, prayer and meditation and contemplation, those things are really good. But there are a lot of people who fancy themselves as being spiritually mature and none of that internal work reflects in anything they do externally. So what good is that? It's not enough to hear God's word and even agree that that word is a good one and still not do anything. Again, it's not enough to be impressed by God I need to be moved and transformed by God. I think a lot of times, this this happens in worship. A lot of times in worship music, you'll hear lyrics a lot of times that will talk a great deal about you. You're, You're awesome and you're so amazing. And I'm just overwhelmed by your love. Those things are true. Those things are great, but none of those things are enough. It's not enough to be amazed that God did something, if you're not reworked by God himself. It's not enough to say God is amazing and not live a life that proves God is amazing. It's not enough to hear something and then not do it. And here's what James says. If you are that person, you know yourself, but you've deceived yourself because you think that you have enough. You think that knowing the right thing is enough. You think that professing maybe that a thing is right is enough. But here's what you look like instead. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. What does he mean? Well, he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Y'all, this is us in church all the time. This is us when we sometimes will read scripture, read something, and it again, might even move us. It might move us for a moment. There's a momentary reflection that does not lead to a life of genuine transformation. A better way to think about it is is this, Um, when you, you know, a lot of times when we're at a restaurant and you're eating with friends or eating with family or what have you, and uh, somebody's eating and all of a sudden you've eaten spinach and there's some spinach in your teeth and you have somebody, hopefully if they love you, they're going to tell you about it. A lot of times folks just feel too embarrassed and they just let you look like weird. But, but if you knew going into the bathroom, you're like, Hey, I feel like there might be something. Let me go to the bathroom really quick. And I go to the bathroom and I see the spinach in my teeth and I look in the mirror and after seeing it in the mirror, I walk back to the table and continue talking to you with the spinach in my teeth. That's who we are when we hear God's word and we don't do it. That's who we are when we hear things that God says about us, certain things that he says about our natural, our nature, things that are broken, things that need to be changed, things that need to be redeemed. I know the Bible says that, and yet I see it, I hear it, I even pray it, and then I go and act as if none of those things are true anymore. God tells me to love my neighbor. I say amen in church. And then I leave. Don't think again about loving my neighbor. All right, God tells me to, to, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. But somebody says something I disagree with. Doesn't matter. I'm not doing that. Why? Because that's just me. We are that person with spinach in our teeth and talking to everybody as if everything's pearly white. James tells us that this is not what righteousness looks like. This is not what it means to follow God. But instead, he says, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not forgetful, a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. This is, this is so important, this looking intently. You see this word again, it picks up again uh, in 26, but these, this word in the Greek, it means like this intentional seeking, this intentional digging, this intentional evaluation of what's happening on a heart level. What that means is you don't do this passively. You don't just be slow to speak and quick to listen, just passively. This has to be a choice. There has to be an intention. I have to say, when I'm in these situations, let me recognize I'm upset. Let me recognize I might be frustrated. I might be a little mad about something. I might, it might hit me a different way. What they've said may even be really false. But I need to be aware of my own nature, know myself well, well enough to realize, let me stop, let me think, let me pray, let me evaluate, let me hear before I respond. Let me make sure that I'm a doer and not just a hearer. Let me make sure that I look with intention into this uh, perfect law of freedom. You hear that? The way he words that, this perfect law of freedom. What does that mean? This idea that this is just how I'm wired, you don't have to be a slave to your wiring. You don't have to be a slave to, I'm just made that way. I'm just built that way. This is who my mama raised. I'm from New York. That's what we do. You don't have to be a slave to your wiring or your geography. Because there's something about the gospel that breaks up the things that were wrong in your wiring, rewires you so that you now look, love, and live like him. That's legitimately what the gospel is. So if you believe and you look with intention into the law of that kind of freedom and you continue and are steadfast and persevere in that law of freedom, then you become a person that truly knows yourself because you know God and you're rooted in his righteousness. A, a, a faithful doer and not just a, a, a forgetful hearer. That's a real blessing. This looks like finally, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. You see this language of self-deception over and over and over again. It's not enough. Please hear me. Cause I know there are some of y'all that honestly, it's almost a joke now about how hard it is for you to control your tongue. I know for a lot of us, it's really hard to be like, hey, this just this, this mouth, it just comes. We, we anthropomorphize our mouth as if it's a different being from us. But actually it's us. How do we know that? The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you say, don't say, that was just what I said. That's really not a reflection of, no, it might really be a reflection of who you are and who you are needs to change. When you acknowledge that, that's what true religion should look like. But he says, If you think you're religious and you don't control your tongue, this little religion you're talking about is useless. It does no good. No good. Useless. This idea that there's no value in this religion you're proclaiming. I don't care how many great stories you have, how good you feel about what God's done for you, all of that. If it doesn't transform the way you speak, the way you think, the way you feel about a thing, then that religion has failed you. We often hear people say, listen, and this I grew up saying this, it's not about a religion, it's a relationship. I don't, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I, it's not about uh, religion or what you know, it's who you know. I'm not religious, I know God. That means more, that relationship piece. Listen, I get that, and, I, and there's a degree to which that can be really helpful if we're talking about dead, empty religion. Sure. But religion is not a bad word. The Bible uses it not pejoratively here. uh, James is using this to make a point. Religion, in and of itself, doesn't have to be a bad thing if it's healthy and rooted in God's heart. Pure, what does he say at the end of this? Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's pure religion. We should be religious, holistically religious. Notice what he hit here, though. He's been talking all about how you talk, how you respond, what happens between the time of stimulus and response, that, that space, that liminal space in between, what you do there. He's been talking all about that. And then he ends, he bookends this thing by saying, all that stuff is false religion. All that stuff is, is a way that you think you're connecting to God, but really you're just connecting to yourself, loving yourself, worshiping yourself, and really ignoring and and actually proclaiming something false about who God is. But if you really are going to be religious, Here's what he really says. You know, we know orphans and widows during that time, that represented some of the most marginalized people groups. Ultimately, he's saying, if you, it's better that you don't just, uh, you're going to be more inclined to speak out more so than to show up. Your whole idea, the religion of God, the heart of God should move you to say, before I speak, I'm going to show up and listen. I'm going to show up and advocate. I want to show up and support. I want to show up and love. Before somebody even needs to listen to what you think, they need to know that you show up and care. They need to know that you're going to be present. This is what uh, James says. He says, this is what undefiled religion, unsullied religion, unsoiled religion. This is what religion that is not false, that is not empty, that is not idolatrous, this kind of religion is this, show up and care, show up and love. Let this faith be so rooted in you, this this true doctrine of freedom, this true gospel of freedom be so rooted in you that even when there's disagreement, I just want to show up and care for you well. That doesn't mean not speaking truth boldly. Sometimes it does. Sometimes in the middle of that, sometimes silence is the wisest approach. Sometimes boldly speaking truth is the wisest approach. We need wisdom and prayer to figure out which one. That's what that middle space is for. But at the end of the day, even in, even if we do respond trying to say truth and, and respond with real truth, the goal shouldn't be, I just want to make sure that I ended up being the one with the truth in the debate. No, the goal should be, I hope that this truth transforms hearts here, mine and theirs. I hope that even in this conversation, I find myself being more humble, even if I'm right, as a result. I hope that I'm, that, because that's the kind of heart that is the heart of an advocate and not the heart of an arguer. If I have the heart of an advocate, then I will, it, it, then no matter where I am, no matter what disagreement's happening, I have the heart of an advocate. Which means I will naturally be someone that's going to want to look after those that are marginalized. It's going to want to look after folks who need desperate help. Want to look after those for whom, uh, those over whom uh, the government has looked and and completely overlooked. I'm going to want to do that. But I can tell you right now, if I'm not like this in my own personal relationships, I'm I'm likely not going to be like that out in these streets. And so when we think about what it means to care, to, to show up more often than we speak out, and it's okay if we do both, but more often than not, We'll just speak, say our opinions and walk away and care. And instead of caring about folks who need it, who need our helps, and and then also to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Now, this is everything that James has just laid out for us in chapter one, kind of a roadmap for what we're going to talk about in these next several chapters. We're going to look at what does it mean? This should help uh, be a primer for what it means. For your faith, this faith we claim is absolutely and objectively true. This, this faith that we say is something that transforms and not just informs. It should then reshape us so that when we get on the conveyor belt, when we come out at the end of the assembly line, we look like people who genuinely love God and love image bearers so much so that no matter what we're facing, we are slow to speak, quick to listen. That we stop and we go, I want to make sure that whatever I do is undergirded undergirded by a desire, a deep desire to see God's righteousness here. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. This is what it means to truly be religious and this is what it means to holistically and faithfully know yourself. Because knowing yourself, You know who God is. You know what he says about you. You know what he's changing in you. You know what he's transforming you into. That's what it means to know him, to know yourself and not be deceived. May we be a people today that if we are in a place where we are in a place of self-knowledge that has become real self-deception, that we be completely redeemed, and we be completely changed. Even if it's uncomfort, even if it's discomforting, I pray that we would allow that holy discomfort to be true in our lives so that we look more like people who have real religion and not a dead one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ways in which you have laid out who we truly are. God, you know us better than any of us know ourselves. You tell us that you knew us. You you knit us together in our mother's wombs before we were ever here. You know the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, the things that you've deposited in us, you know, the ways in which our own sin tries to strangle those things out of us. You know, the false things we believe about ourselves, whether they be very negative and wrong or overly positive and wrong. God, you know those things. And in all of that, you love us. You love us so much that you want to be that mirror. You give us your truth, the gospel, and you allow Jesus came and served as a mirror to mankind, men and women all over. We're forced to see the real true nature of who they were, who we are. And you say, as we say often, I love you and I love you as you are, but I love you far too much to leave you that way. God, thank you for loving us too much to leave us that way. And so God, we pray that you continue to do what you promised to do. Finish what you started. Continue to change us. Continue to show us the ways in which we've trusted in ourselves and not you. We've loved ourselves and not you. We found esteem in ourselves and not you. Lord, let us be a people that knows ourselves because we know you. And the places where we need to be convicted, convict us. And the places where we need to be comforted, comfort us. God, this is not about us being right. It's about us being righteous. And not just righteous so that we can brag about being righteous, but righteous so that we can more effectively love our neighbor. Make us a people that shows up more than we speak out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, let's receive this blessing, this promise that God has given us, something we can stand on. In the midst of where we are, We may have been in places of real self-deception. We may be now, and God still promises to undergird and hold you. When we acknowledge this in humility, here's the promise, the blessing that he gives to you. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion in power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings